With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. In this episode, I'm joined from England by Kyle Martino of NBC Sports. We have a fun discussion about the new English Premier League season, which starts on Friday, and also talk about the state of U.S. soccer after his run for Federation president and his new role with Street Soccer USA. Just a quick reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Onward! The English Premier League kicks off this week, and our guest today is Kyle Martino of the NBC Sports Premier League studio crew. He'll be part of the Transfer Deadline Day show Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on NBCSN with the season kickoff of Manchester United Leicester City on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN. Studio starts 90 minutes before that. Kyle is in England right now. Thanks for joining me, my friend. Hey, what's going on? We're here again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, lots to talk about. You are in England right now. What is the buzz like over there? Um, Well, the buzz is really, uh, as it tends to be leading into a season, about big transfers. Um, We're in Manchester right now. Uh, I'm sitting here in my room with uh, average to below average room uh, service. I I made a bad order, as I always (laughs) do when I come over here. And uh, I'm sitting here reading some news. And of course, World Cup champion Paul Pogba in Manchester is on the the lips of everyone and uh, rumblings that his agent, who uh, we all know, Mina Raiola, is, is never less than controversial, uh, is talking to Barcelona and there's a possibility he doesn't come back to, uh, to Old Trafford to start this season. You know, the, the transfer window ending early this year uh, on Thursday before the season, something the Premier League clubs uh, voted on last year, is creating all of this madness uh, that typically doesn't really get to this, you know, combustible point doesn't get as, as big and, and intense as it is, uh, right now. Typically it, it goes a month or so into the season. So fascinating start to the season this year. So we're recording this on Tuesday morning. It's going to come out this show on Thursday morning ahead of the deadline day special that you guys are doing. Do you think this was a good idea or a bad idea for the premier league to move the transfer deadline up? I think it was a great idea. You know, we've seen managers say say both, right? We've seen Pochettino complain about it and say, um, you know, he's not happy about the window closing. I think he's more unhappy about the fact they're not spending anything in the window. <laughs> but uh, Jose Mourinho is all for it, uh, which is fascinating because Manchester United voted against it. Um, but only two big clubs voted against it, Manchester City and Manchester United. The reason I think it's good is, you know, think about about the, you know, the art of the deal negotiation, the, the best tactic and, and the hardest thing to do to be a good negotiator is have the discipline to walk away. And that's being forced on, on, uh, on Premier League clubs it, you know, it, it stops on Thursday and that's it. And so ultimately 
if you think about the market dynamics, the Premier League has the most money. I mean, they're the ones that really move the market. They pay the highest wages, the biggest transfer fees when you look at every transfer window. So the market doesn't want them out early. So the fact that think of them as an individual buyer, if, if they leave you know, the bidding war early and, and aren't, aren't bluffing, it's happening. It means deals have to get done by that point or else, you know, you lose one of the biggest, if you're a player or you're a club or you're an agent, one of the biggest leveraging points that you have, the Premier League will, willing to pay big money. So what happens is the distraction of players, uh, you know, that are either coming or going, lasting through the first part of your campaign probably goes away. Now, I, I say that with, with you know, a, a little bit of caution that once the window closes for Premier League clubs, that is, it's still open for the rest of Europe. So players can still be sold from the Premier League and go elsewhere. But, but the reality is, if I'm a Premier League club, I say I want my business done before the season starts, which every manager would probably agree to. If it doesn't happen, I can say if it's Eden Hazard or some of these big players that might leave to Real Madrid or something after the Premier League window closes, I say I can place that guy now. Um, and and not bluffing. I mean, I, I really can't. That's it. The window's done for us. Now, players can still, and their agents, you know, say, all right, well, we're not going we're not going to return. And they can make a stink or put in a transfer request. But they do that in a window that lasts uh, the normal duration anyway. So that's not a new tactic. I, I think the fact that the window is going to close for the Premier League clubs and they say, all right, that's it. If they end up selling Ed Nazard after that, it's going to be for a premium well above what they would have sold him for if they were in the natural window anyway. So I just think it gives them negotiating power. And the, and the best solution is, um, you know, it, it stops the distraction through the beginning part of the season where you're constantly dealing with transfers. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes sense to me. I, I'm wondering, there was an interesting story by Miguel Delaney, a friend of mine over in The Independent this week, taking sort of a, a differing viewpoint that uh, this is causing you know, various problems. And it sounds like you know, Pochettino has that as well. I do wonder if the rest of Europe will change their transfer deadlines moving forward in future years, or if we're going to have this type of situation where there's a gap for a little while? I think, I think that's, they want to be, you know, the vanguards in this situation. I would, I would think every manager doesn't appreciate having to deal with an incomplete roster through a part of the season where titles are won or lost on one point. I mean, you can't really wait to get going. So I would say every manager would prefer this if it was universal. Um, the fact that the Premier League did it first, I honestly think other clubs are going to catch up because they're going to see the benefit it gives Premier League clubs in knowing that we're starting the season and no new players are coming in so I can work with the squad. If any player wants to throw a, you know, their toys out of the pram and make a big stink at that point, um, you know, ultimately they don't have a lot of leverage because as I said before, Premier League clubs can stay strong. And if they end up selling the player, it's going to be for an enormous number. So then other clubs are the ones having to pay the extra premium to buy, you know, Premier League players when it used to be the reverse. It used to be the Premier League clubs having to pay that extra premium. Right. So when you take the whole NBC game to England for shows, what's that like? Um, 
I mean, to do it at the beginning of the season, which is something new, we started that last year, is so much fun. I mean, it's just such a great way to, you know, to kick off the campaign. Um, you know, we make, we make a, it's the pageantry of it. We, we make it a really, really big uh, weekend. And for me personally, you know, it, 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 it has the same buzz and excitement of when I was a player and I would report for camp, you know, you report for preseason and teammates. And that's, that, that's what this group is. And you know, it being, you know, part of the TV world. I mean, this is your team and, and, you know, I'm, I'm in the hotel with them. We're traveling together. Uh, we've got a lot of cool things we're doing leading up to Friday at Old Trafford. We're going to see Manchester city train. We get to sit down with Pep Guardiola, you know, to do all of that, um, together as a group to start the season is, it's just really fun because you've been waiting for, for a whole couple months, um, you know, jealousy and you guys over in Russia having amazing time covering an incredible tournament. You know, the, the, the off time is great until you get that itch of, man, I want to get going again. So I love the way that we get to start the season and doing it at Old Trafford. It's got to be pretty special. So you've got Manchester United Leicester on Friday. And I guess one question, I was in Ann Arbor, Michigan for Liverpool four, Man United one, which the result didn't make much difference. But after the game, that was probably Mourinho at his most negative of a very negative (laughs) acting preseason, basically saying, I I don't know why people pay money to come to these things. I don't have my players. My guys are terrible. Charlie (laughs) Silicano, I'm sure loved our our really good friend. Charlie was, was really loving those comments. (laughs) So what is up in your mind with Jose Mourinho? Uh, he's just he's he's moaning Mourinho I mean this is this is as um as negative and antagonistic and and just you know childish as as we've seen him in a long time and and honestly you know I said it day day one when when it was announced that Jose Mourinho got the Manchester United job I said this will not be good ultimately for Manchester United. They will not win a title under Jose Mourinho. This is going to be the first club he goes and, and there's a blow up without a title. Now I, I can see the argument that it's been good for Manchester United and, and the fact that it stabilized them, you know, winning the Europa league, getting back in the top four. I mean, finishing second last year, you know, it, there's a strong argument with the fact that this was a good hiring simply in the fact it stabilized them. But you have to remember that with Jose Mourinho, there's always a big blow up at the end of this. And this is typically the season it happens in that third season. And, and it typically comes after a title. But the problem this time is we're, we're seeing the picking a fight with star players. There is something going on with he and Pogba who, by the way, didn't take the bait of, you know, Mourinho's request for everyone to return early from their, from their break after the World Cup. You know, Lukaku and the, and the uh, English players did it, and Paul Pogba still hasn't reported. There are reports uh, that, you know, there's a chance he leaves. I mean, Mourinho is starting that, that, that line in the sand, us against them, dividing the locker room, throwing people under the bus, public complaints. He and Ed Woodward are at odds. I mean, he's doing that before they've even kicked the ball this season. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. It's almost as if right now he's setting it up for him for for him to be let go during the season, after the season. I I just don't totally get it. Um, 
But yeah, a lot of anger there. I did see him, by the way, uh, on video, give Charlie Stilitano a hug down in Miami. So I don't know what was said there. This was after what he said. (laughs) Well, yeah, those guys, those guys are buddies. And and, uh, whether whether Charlie Stilitano is mad at you or not, you still got to hug him when you see him. Guys, guys too lovable. But I mean, I don't think he makes the season. I don't think he makes it the season, Grant. I, I, I I don't think he's in that managerial seat. Uh, at the end of of this Premier League campaign. I still don't get why they extended his contract during the season last year. I didn't think enough had been done, but maybe there was stuff happening behind the scenes that I wasn't aware of. Well, they better hope that there's some sort of release clause or or break clause in that because (laughs) uh, Jose Mourinho has only once made it to a fourth season, and and that was at Chelsea's first time and got got fired that year. I, I can't can't imagine they thought he was going to see this contract out. So there's probably an enormous chunk of change they got to pay him if they fire him this year. Maybe that's what U.S. soccer is waiting for before they hire a coach. Oh, <laughs> anyway. oh man. Oh, man. <laughs> anyway, moving on. I, I think one of the big questions, at least at the upper part of the Premier League table this year, is can anyone beat Manchester City? Do you think mm. there's someone out there who could? Yeah, Liverpool can. And, and I think they will. I, I, I honestly, I, I think, listen, Manchester City, um, and I made this argument last year and, uh, and people weren't having it. And, um, I, you know, I, I got some, some really fun Twitter responses. Um, but I, I said Manchester City is, the, is, is the, the best Premier League and even go back to first division uh, a team in, in English soccer history. Now, I'm looking at that not in legacy and, and, you know, comparing it to the, the treble team of Manchester United in terms of what they've accomplished. I'm just talking pure play. I mean, I, I've never seen go back to the Liverpool teams that dominated, go back to that Manchester United treble winning team, Jose's Chelsea team. I mean, no one dominated the Premier League the way that Pep Guardiola's Manchester City did. Just irreverent, breaking teams down, dominating the ball, dominating chances on goal, doing it in, in such an entertaining and pleasing way on the eye and to, to, to shatter records. I mean, it was truly remarkable. So you'd have to say any team that wants to catch them this year is, is going to have to close an enormous gap because I don't see Pep's team falling off for of that pace all that much. And, and I just think the one team that can, if you look at what he did at Borussia uh, Dortmund taking on a Bayern Munich team that was unstoppable, you know, Jurgen Klopp, season after season, gets a little bit better, adds a thing here and there. I mean, he did it when he was at Bruce e. Dortmund, and he's doing it at Liverpool. I mean, they've been in three finals already. Yeah, they need to get over that hurdle, but th- this Liverpool side is going to be irresistible. I mean, Salah's going to be back fit from the shoulder injury. Uh, some of the additions, Shakiri, even Sturridge, if he can stay fit, they've got a really deep, dangerous bench. They signed the most expensive goalkeeper in the world, Allison, who's going to be excellent and solve the problem. I just think that they're going to be able to do it, and it could be really special. That's a big gap for them to close, by the way. I mean, it's a it's a it's probably one of the biggest gaps anyone's had had, had to close on a uh, on a winner. I mean, I, I I need to look. I haven't gotten into the research notes yet, but I, I wonder if it's the biggest gap that's ever needed to be closed uh, to keep a team from repeating. But also, I mean. You know, the last, I think Chelsea were the last team to do it. I mean, repeating is, is, is very rare. I mean, to, to win two Premier League seasons in a row um, is, is pretty unattainable. So, there, I mean, there is that, that lump about it that, um, you know, closing the gap also has something to do with another, you know, a, a team winning and, 
what happens when you have that, you know, champion's bullseye on your back. Another team that has made some changes in the offseason is Arsenal. Unai Emery in as the coach. Uh, from everything I hear, Josh Kroenke has had a, a much bigger influence behind the scenes at Arsenal coming yeah. in um, and and leading to Arsene Wenger leaving when he did. Uh, what do you think about Arsenal and Unai Emery? I, I like the hiring. Um, I said that when it happened. I like it. Now, listen, was it the best thing out there? No, but I mean, that's not how it works. I mean, you, you, you can't always get the, the best manager for the club, but we don't know what went on behind the scenes. Um, you know, I, I had said I would have loved to have seen Patrick Vieira get the job. I mean, now that would have been a riskier hire, um, you know, for, 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 if you look at the fact that he's just early on in his career, the success he's had at NYCFC and now got his move to Europe, you know, he's still, he's still coming along. He's still learning the ropes. He's still coming into his own as a manager, but Pep Guardiola took over Barcelona when he was only the B team manager. I mean, he had no, you know, big club first team experience. So I I just think that would have been a great move to try to get back to their successful years to have some credit in the bank in terms of the legend that Patrick Vieira is around here. So, you know, I was a bit disappointed as some of the Arsenal fans were, but I, I think this is a good hiring in that, the one major weakness of Arsenal under Arsene Wenger is they did not work on who they were going to be off the ball and who they were playing on the weekend. They, they didn't have a game plan where they prepared tirelessly with detail on who they needed to be based on the competition they were facing on the weekend. They, they typically just had so much freedom to be the Arsenal they've always been. Now with Emery, they have that. He and his coaching staff, and now finally – a front office and backroom staff, you know, Mizzen Tat, who was, uh, you know, scout and sporting director at Borussia Dortmund, and just a whole team of people that are supporting uh, Emery behind the scenes. You know, I, I think this Arsenal side is going to definitely uh, be better than last year and finish in the top four. I, I, hmm. I feel they're going to be strong. Now, behind the scenes, something that's really fascinating going on, you mentioned Josh Conkey. Uh, Josh moved over here and permanently started to focus on the job and be uh, more present as they tried to create the transition together with Ivan Gazidis of moving Arsene Wenger out of the football club. Now that's happened. The next big transition seems to be full ownership for the Cronkies and Stan Cronkies making a big push to, uh, to try to push out the other billionaire, uh, Usmanov. And, um, if you look at Arsenal fans, you know, Ian Wright being a fan and, and, and legend, you know, they, they don't seem very happy about that. So that could create some, some turmoil that could uh, be, be a distraction for Emery and the club this season. So another team near the top with a new coach, Chelsea. Maurizio Sarri is in, Conti is out. Uh, that took a while to actually get finalized, it seemed like. Uh, and you may have some players uh, going out at Chelsea as well, some important ones. Yeah. Uh, I, I, we're recording this two days before the transfer deadline. Obviously, outgoing players can be sold after the deadline uh, to, say, Real yeah. Madrid. Uh, what do you think about Chelsea? I'm worried about Chelsea. Um, I love, I, I, I love um, Sarri. I think he's going to be, I mean, what he did at Napoli, I mean, Pep Guardiola has all sorts of praise for him. You know, it, 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 kind of like Pochettino, he's one of these coaches that you that you lionize and and you respect, but they don't have the trophies to back it up. Um, you know, he he already is is moving the system back to something that is is 
I think more pleasing for Chelsea fans rather than the, the more defensive counterattacking style of, you know, Mourinho or Conte, it's going to be this four, three, three playing further up the field, more, more direct in terms of positive progressive passing up the field and pressing teams. But, um, I mean, it just all comes down to if he, if he lost Courtois and lost Ed Nazard, it's just a different side. Um, and, and I'm just not sure they have the strength and the depth to make up for that. Um, they're trying to lock and go down to a new deal to make him the highest paid player on the team, which I think is a no brainer. Uh, Jorginho still isn't really, although he was excellent in that play and is a fantastic player come into feeling comfortable on the side yet. And then off the field, um, Graskaya and, 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 um, Abramovich are running the show. I mean, Michael Arminello, the technical director, left the club and hasn't been replaced. So there, there, there still is a lot of turmoil going on around Chelsea Football Club. Um, and I, I don't think that the last of the drama has happened before the transfer deadline day. I think uh, there's a chance they lose Ed Nazar. There is. And, and even is William still a possibility to leave? Yeah, so I mean, what a weird and bizarre scenario there. Um, you're you're a, a much better reporter than I am, so I'm I'm going to leave it to you to get to the bottom of that. But these, you know, William talking about, um, you know, he reported late and supposedly passport issues, but uh, his passport issues didn't keep him from going on vacation. So that's an interesting <laughs> one. Um, and uh, and 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 the fact that there was a agent that supposedly said he's representing him, and it was a a uh, a forged document where 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 someone put William's signature on it. I mean, it's a bizarre bizarre scenario. Listen, William didn't play and feature a ton last year, but honestly, I, I think was still one of their best players. So he's got every reason to be unsettled. Um, but that's you know that's another. I mean, Mourinho wants him. Other big clubs want him, and uh, I don't blame other clubs for wanting him. He's a star and isn't treated like a star Chelsea currently. So, looking at the rest of the league, which team or teams do you think will exceed expectations? Um, you know, the one I'm I'm really interested in. Uh, I, you know, I think some of the newly promoted clubs are going to exceed. I, I think Wolves are going to exceed expectations. Um, you know, they. they I mean. <laughs> If you look at their side and, and some of the some of the purchases and some of the business they've done, I mean they they really Moutinho they've strengthened in, in areas uh, they were already strong in. So they're a team that's going to be fun to watch. A pretty dynamic back three that, that Nuno has them playing. Um, you know they 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 will try to put the ball on the ground and play, and I think are going to surprise a lot of Premier League clubs. Everton's a team that I'm going to be watching closely because. You know, Mashiri, their new owner, has deep pockets. He spent big, but it just hasn't worked out. Um, managerial nightmares. And finally, they got the guy they wanted all along in, in Silva. Um, but Silva's a fascinating character, still young and relatively unproven, although he has some exciting results with clubs. But in the last four clubs he's been at, he hasn't stayed for longer than a year. Um, you know, they, they still haven't solved some of their issues. Goal scoring is going to be one of them where Rooney left and some say it was a failure, but he still was one of their leading goal scorers, got them double digit goals. So, um, you know, there's still some issues with the fact they've spent, but haven't spent right and are trying to revamp a a club with huge expectations. Now you mentioned earlier that you're going to have an interview with Pep Guardiola. And as a journalist who has tried to get interviews with Pep Guardiola over the years, that's a very difficult thing to do. And I'm very jealous right now. Yeah. Um, 
he, he tends to do like, not always, but he tends to do ones that he's sort of contractually obligated to do. But one-on-one interviews or, or small yeah. private interviews are pretty rare. There's a couple of books out there that have gotten time with him uh, over the years. How do you prepare to interview Pep Guardiola? That's so funny that you, that you say that because we talked a lot about that. Um, we were at dinner last night as, as, as a group just welcoming everyone in and, and talking about the week. And we, we got on that subject and um, we, we basically had a brainstorming session about what's the question to ask him and whether it's the first question or not, sometimes you have to, as you know, very well, you know, warm, warm up a, an, an interviewee and warm up a manager to, to be open to understanding this isn't a gotcha interview and you just really want to talk about football. We, we want to, we're, we're, we're desperate to find the one question that's going to show him we're here to talk to talk about the passion you have and the love you have and the and the student you are of the game um and and we we want him to feel comfortable so he can start talking about how his mind works and you know you referenced you know pep confidential and 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 other things where we've been able to to go inside an incredible mind, a, a genius of a mind who is an eccentric that sometimes is closed off and doesn't answer people's questions and, and is uncomfortable in that, in that environment. So, um, so we haven't found that question yet, but, but I'll let you know after the fact how it goes, because when he does open up and you've seen this, uh, it's just a really, a really exciting and cool thing to, to be let into his world where he explains to you his philosophy and how he goes about being a manager and, and approaching football. Yeah, good luck with that. I can't wait to see what you guys get out of that. Um, I want to ask and just sort of wind up with a couple other things that are non-Premier League. I, I think this has been kind of a crazy year for you personally in the sense that you ran for U.S. Soccer President in 2018, but does the U.S. Soccer Presidential campaign seem like it happened 20 years ago? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it seems it seems like uh, I ran for for U.S. soccer president when I had long hair. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it does seem like another lifetime. Um, you know, it's funny. Like right afterwards, and I, I saw you in the airport on the way out. So y- you saw me in like the the immediate aftermath. And I I don't know what what your sense of where I was and what my headspace was, but I, I, I was. I was kind of in a, in like an out of body world right after the election where I just, I, it was so intense, um, you know, and, and the way it finished was so kind of shocking and, and, you know, the range of emotions, the, the, the mental and, and physical fatigue of the whole thing. It took me a while to be able to really sit and, and, and reflect on the experience. And now that I have, um, I'm so glad I did it. Uh, I, I learned so much about the good, the bad, and the ugly of, of our soccer landscape. I met some incredible people and relationships that um, I have today that I didn't before. Uh, I got to know, you know, the duplicity and, and, and bad dealings of certain people that I didn't know before. Um, and, you know, I, I take optimism out of that experience in that I, I saw us galvanize as a soccer community and, and, and demand something better, you know, and fight for something more. And, you know, I see that going on in, in silos. I see people who have gone back to their worlds and I'm back with NBC, 
um, and, and do what they can from those positions to keep that momentum going and to keep the spotlight on the U.S. Soccer Federation and hold them accountable and, and, you know, and ask for more in a clear, cogent, but sometimes, you know, emotional way, because we all know we've come a long way as a soccer nation, but we know we, we could be further along if we were, uh, if, if we had a bit more transparency and a bit more, uh, I, I think, integrity in terms of how we govern soccer in this country. So what's your sense of what has happened in U.S. soccer since the election? Yeah, I mean, that's the hard thing is that, you know, on paper, after one of the biggest failures in, in, in U.S. soccer history, it seems the only thing that happened is, you know, the vice president became president and a few people got promotions. But, um, you know, if you look at if you look at U.S. soccer right now in terms of Carlos Cordero's campaign promises, um, you know, it, it's been a good start. You got got the 2026 World Cup, which was one of the biggest things. Uh, biggest pillars of of Carlos Cordero's platform uh, spoke a lot about it. Spent a lot of time traveling and meeting with people about it. Um, you know, hiring of a, a GM on the men's side with Ernie Stewart was another big thing that needed to happen. I'm frustrated and disappointed that the process to find the women's GM hadn't even started by the time Ernie was hired. When they have a World Cup in less than a year, um, but you'd have to say those are positives in terms of what I spoke about during the election and what I saw as the issue of consequence most alarming and needs most focus right now, um, youth soccer and, and the fractured community there and the participation numbers down again and the worrying trends there, I see next to no focus and attention put there yet. Now, Carlos has begun to meet with leaders and, and have those discussions, which, um, you know, you, you know me personally, I, I'm not a competitive person in that losing this election means it's zero-sum game. I, I don't want Carlos to succeed. Of course I want him to succeed, and I want U.S. soccer to, to benefit from his strong leadership. So um, he reached out to me recently, and we're going to meet in September, and, and that's the point I'm going to try to get across to him, Grant, that this youth, youth soccer problem is is uh it needs our attention it needs our urgency it needs resources it needs people hired and committees put together and uh, i'm going to push that he does it i'm going to give him advice and support in that area but also you know i'm going to ask for his support in the things that are happening outside of of the u.s soccer system uh and, and that's one of the reasons i joined street soccer usa yeah i wanted to ask you about that so what are you doing with street soccer usa well you know i just um I, it, once everything settled down and I got back to NBC and, and I reconciled with things that were difficult to, to uh, overcome in terms of, you know, relationships that I, I thought were different and scenarios I thought would play out in a different way. Once I got over all of that, I just wanted to help. I, you know, I just, I, a fire was lit during the election that I didn't want to go out. And I, and I wanted to find a way to channel that, that energy, that enthusiasm, and the vision that we had during the campaign into something else. And I had met Lawrence Can, uh, the co-founder and CEO of Street Soccer USA, a while back, and spoke with him a lot during the campaign um, to try and try and understand the grassroots area and where U.S. soccer could be helping there a little more. Um, and we sat down for lunch. Uh, one day in the city, and he said, "You know, Kyle, I know you're going back to NBC, but we're we're starting a national board, and we'd be honored if you'd chair it." And, and I, you know, it took me 30 seconds to say, "Yeah, that's absolutely, absolutely, exactly what I want to be doing now." Um, 
you know, and Street Soccer USA have been around for about a decade. And uh, ultimately, if I would just distill it down to, to one mission, it's, it's to improve access uh, to the game in the communities that need it most. Uh, inner city communities, some living below the poverty line, um, refugees, immigrants, uh, Hispanics, blacks, just a, a large community of, of people who need the game of soccer, the, the blue collar sport of the world, an incredible social vehicle that can change lives. They need that game to empower their community. And um, I've just seen the, the, the way it changes a community, the light it brings into a kid's life to, to have access to this beautiful game and to feel it belongs to them and to feel they belong to a community. And then on the back end, do social, you know, social services, social work to help change the life of their family and their community. It's just, it's something that I feel so lucky to be involved in. And then, you know, concurrently, there are stars there. I mean, I honestly believe the next big stars we're going to unearth, the, the next talents that are going to take U.S. soccer on the men's and women's side to, to the next level, although for the women, keep it at that level, are, are these kids in inner city communities that we lose to other sports who, um, you know, who have the makeup, if, if you were to deconstruct a great soccer player, have the makeup of players that litter the Ballon d'Or list uh, every year. So, um, you know, it's fun to, to, to have that as a side strategy of bring the game to communities that need it and, and help it be a social enterprise, but also, you know, pick up soccer, unstructured soccer and identifying inner city talent, you know, from a kid from Westport, Connecticut, who came from an affluent family and played the rich kid sport that that's turned into a country club year after year. You know, I, I love to kind of, uh, you know, be, be the one to say um, there were players much better than me that deserved the chance that I got. So NBCSN Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern will be showing the Premier League Transfer Deadline Day show, the first game of the Premier League season, Man United, Leicester City, Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN. Coverage starts at 1.30 p.m. Eastern that day. Kyle Martino, thanks for joining me. So good to talk to you again, Grant. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Kyle Martino as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And check out the 30-minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available on si.tv, Amazon, and Fubo TV. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.